Yeah, everybody, welcome to the Interloper podcast. To prepare for this particular episode, if you go to interloperinterloper.com slash this isn't for you, no spaces, all lowercase, you will find an archive of the show that we just had of This Isn't For You featuring artists Brock Oakley Ailes and Lorena Cruz Santiago. You can go to the website and you can see there are three different parts to Brock Oakley Ailes show Plastic Spoon Feeder. You will see that there is an Angel Fire website. There is the work that was installed in his mother's home, and there are temporary installations documented with his gigantic racks bag installed across Seattle. Or if you're like me and you don't like preparing for things, just join us on this wild ride where we talk about art that you haven't actually seen. But still check out Brock Oakley Ale's work because it's awesome and you're going to want to see it at some point. Well, hi. Hello. Hello. <laughs> this is your conversation with the curator, Tiffany Daniel <laughs> Elliott, although I go by L. And you're Brock Oakley Ailes, but you go by Brock. Yeah, whatever. <laughs> I'm not picky. We're going to start this off. I'm going to ask you a question. So I kind of proposed this to you of saying like, hey, we want to have some recording audio of you discussing your work with someone that we can put on this podcast. Um, and it could be with anyone and you thought it would probably be the best idea to talk about it with me. Yes. So what made you think that? Well, I don't know. I mean, we have, we have a history and we kind of know each other and you kind of already know what I'm doing. So, and -hmm. it seems to be a difficult thing to explain to people. So I figured, you know, it'd be best to just talk to you. So that's what we're going to attempt to do. Also, I think it's probably a little bit because you know, deep down, I'm a super fan. Yeah. Just yeah. <laughs> totally geek out about your work and think that you're just amazing. Sure. But you also ask the hard questions and you know how much I fucking yep. love hard questions. <laughs> so, but this is my first hard question that I'm asking is this idea of how hard it was to figure out, like, who do you talk about your work with? Who gets your work? Who is your audience? You know, all the big questions that are easy to answer. Yeah. Um, I mean, I don't know that that's easy to answer, really. Like, I don't I don't know that there's anyone aside from like a few people that I met like at Cranbrook or like, you know, just other artists in Ohio that like really get where I'm even coming from. I mean, my parents kind of do like, I feel like that's like more the audience I'm going for is like, you know, not, not just my parents, but like people like my parents. And Mm -hmm. I guess since nobody here knows me, you know, we're talking more like white working class, not necessarily like super low income at this point. Like my, um, by the time my dad retired, he wasn't, we weren't like living paycheck to paycheck, but there were times in my life, like through high school that we were. So, you know, I think the work, if anything is more for people like my parents and like people that live in their neighborhood and like anyone else like that. I don't, I don't know that, um, I don't know that the work will ever fully do what it's supposed to do within like a, like an art institution or like the art world, you know? Right. And that's like the whole reason I want to talk to you. Cause I think that, and the reason I was excited about having your work in particular as a part of interloper show, this isn't with parentheses for you is because I think especially your work and your whole body of work speaks to this question about like, who is art for, who is it not for? And there's so many things we can get into with your work in this show in particular, and also your work as a whole. Like I just remember, so we went to grad school together and I remember loving that when you showed your work, just the confusion that people had of like, wait, are you like making fun of working class white men or are you celebrating them? Like I'm confused. And that's a really interesting place that your work exists in. So right now, how would you answer that question? Um, If I were answering that question today, I would say that it is absolutely more of a celebration than a critique because I think that 
that's a group of people that's slowly being sort of like left behind when they can't be like, if we're going to actually make progress in America, like those people have to be on board too. It can't just be like whatever, like cancel culture or like the art world or like activists. It has to be like everyone. And like, Mm -hmm. I think when people are just sitting around being like, well, fuck, fuck the working class white men because they're the ones that are voting for Trump. And like, they're the ones that are doing it. It's like, yeah, maybe you're right. But like some of the conversations I've had with my dad, especially like, that dude is not far off from having similar political views to me other than Trump. You know what I mean? Like other than like that one thing, like if you bring up like Mm -hmm. Jeff Bezos to him, he gets like pissed off. He's like, yeah, nobody should be making Mm -hmm. that amount of money when I'm like busting my ass and not really have much to show for it, you know? So I don't, I don't think that they're that far off. And I think that it's all, you know, it's designed that they're that, that they're that far off, you know, I don't think it's like their fault. So I think, I think, you know, leaving them behind isn't the way to go. So then we like get into this question of like, who is your work for? And you kind of started answering this earlier. So like in this idea of this is for you, this isn't for you. There's an audience that your work is not for. And there's an audience that your work is for. Sure. Um, and, and I was talking earlier about thinking about like why I wanted to curate the show this way. And it's not so much to be like, okay, you can look at Brock's work and you immediately, if you get it, then the work's for you. If you don't get it, then it's not for you. And the whole object and idea is not to like point out, Oh, this isn't for you. Or this is for you. It's not to point out who you are, but to me, it's about bringing together things that have been separated people that have been separated. And so in that kind of framework, who would you say, you know, you're talking about who your work is for, who has that, the group of people been separated from? Like, where's that boundary being created? I don't know. I mean, that's a good question. It's stuff that it's like a hard question to answer. Like, I don't really, I don't think I have the answer to that. You know, I don't even know. I think, I think the further out of school that I've gotten, the more I'm like, I'm not even convinced that art is able to address the problem anyways. Okay. Let's talk about that. Yeah. Let's talk about that. Cause that's like, that's an interesting question. Is art just for the elite? Yeah. Are there certain people that art in and of itself is just for? I think so. I mean, I don't think that, I also don't think that if we're trying to like unite the poor or like the working class or whatever, whatever it is, like mm-hmm. art's not going to do it. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like we're, we're talking about people that generally don't, don't care about art. Like they're not, it's not that they don't care, but like when they see it, they're like, the fuck is this? You know what I mean? They're just like, this is like, what's this giant racks bag have to do with anything? Totally. Okay. So we're making these huge generalizations, but we kind of have to do it when we're talking about things. Right. And so in that category, if you're saying that like people that are in working class, I'm just going to use that as a category, don't care about art, then what do they care about? I mean, I think they care about like work becomes like such a huge part of their identity. Like they, I think mm-hmm. that they, I think that's part of the reason why that they were also upset with the pandemic and like mm-hmm. shit being closed down because they kind of lost like a part of their identity. That's just like, so like, I mean, work is like such a huge thing at least in the communities that I was raised in, you know what I mean? Like I think in the, like even regionally. And why is work such a huge part of their identity? Because I think that they're, that's the way that they see towards like upward mobility. You know what I mean? I think that they see that as being like, this is how, this is my chance, my opportunity to like live the dream or whatever. And it's like, that just like, isn't true. Yeah. And you know, it's so interesting too, when you say that when you're in upper class, a lot of your identity is based on like, this is who I am. I was born into this. So it's based on like, my worth is because of my like DNA. Right. And like who I am and that in working class, your worth is actually determined by how hard you can work. Sure. I mean, how often have you been in a convenience store? I don't know how many of the people listening to this probably even go to convenience stores, but like I can walk into a convenience store and be like, that dude's a contractor. That dude is like, a farmer or that guy, you know what I mean? You can tell by mm-hmm. the way that they're dressed yeah. and like the way that they carry themselves, like what they do for a living. And that's like, 
it may not be like conscious, like a conscious decision that they're making, but it, like work is like a part of their everyday thing. Yeah. And like the harder they're able to work, the more proud they are of themselves, you know? Yeah. And I don't think that that's, that's like not necessarily like a bad thing. It's just like, I don't think that that makes that person like a piece of shit or like, you know, it's just like, that's just what they've been raised around. Right. Like work is just like such a huge part of their culture. So, yeah, I was thinking about like times where I have seen people look at your work, especially like when they were able to view it in person when we were in grad school. And it's interesting because when you're surrounded by people that didn't grow up in the culture that you did, and I think this is true across the board, whenever an artist is like making work from their personal experience, and then you have the dominant culture kind of like looking at it from the outside, it's almost like this like science specimen that they're like surrounding and talking about. And it's just this really weird conversation that happens. Um, And so that is something about your work. Like when I think about who it isn't for, I think about it's literally everyone that's going to view it while it's in any kind of art space. Yeah. I mean, yeah, basically. I mean, I think that there's, I was fortunate enough to meet, you know, a handful of people like including you, like I was, you know, you and like five or six other people that I met at Cranbrook that like got it because they were doing either the same shit or like were from it, you know? And they were just like, Oh man, this, this is awesome. Like I love this and trying to make it do that thing. So like, I'm almost more just like, and we used to talk about this too. Like I'm almost more just like trying Mm -hmm. to make something that I think is cool or like that my parents would think is cool or like, you know, like, um, Rodrigo, when Rodrigo visited, he was like, make Mm -hmm. something that you're, that you think your grandma would make. So I just like, I've kind of been living by that for the past two years. And I think it's, you know, I I feel like I'm at a spot where I don't even know what the work's about. Like, I almost like don't even know what it's about anymore because it doesn't matter here, you know? Well, what are some of the responses that you get about your work from people that you're making it for? I mean, I feel like it's been so, it's been like almost two years since I've really had like a real critical discussion about Mm -hmm. my work because my parents just look at it and like, oh, that's like really cool looking or like, Mm-hmm. some of the stuff that I was making at Cranbrook, I think that my mom and I had some like really good discussions about like, you know, like the, like the monster energy American flag thing that I made. Like my mom was like, Oh, like yeah. what's this about? So I was like, kind of like explain it to her a little bit, you know, like people will just like, you know, you see you, it's, I think it's also part of that like stereotypical, like white construction worker guy. That's just like chugging monster to like get through the day. Like that, that sucks. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's like, somebody's like in like just mm-hmm. pushing chemicals down their throat just to like make a buck for like somebody else essentially. Well, so if you think that people from working class are being excluded from the art world, is there any value to like being representative of working class culture within a place where there there's no representation or very little? I mean, I think so. I mean, maybe, maybe the work isn't for anyone that's working class, you know, maybe the work is for the art world to be like, Hey, like these are people, you know what I mean? Like these aren't like, it's like, yeah, they've, they've like made some poor decisions and like think some like kind of awful things sometimes, but like, so does everybody. I've thought awful things in my life. You know what I'm saying? I've, I've done and said and thought awful things in my past as well. Like it's all something that you can get out of, you know what I mean? It's all something that you can unlearn. So like, I think it's, I think it's almost just as valuable for, I, I even, I hate even like using the word, the art world, but like, I don't, what else do we call it? Rich people? Well, let's do it. Yeah. Let's just say rich people who looks at art, who, who, who is art for it's, you know, who's buying it. I mean, certainly no, like no one that I know, you know, I can't, I can't afford to buy art. I try, I like to trade art with people, but like, I don't, I've never like purchased a piece of art. Like there's no way I could afford that. I think it's for both. I think it's, I think it's for everybody. Like, I think, I think the work I'm making is for everyone because it can, it can have like potential positive effect on anyone. You know, it could be like, Hey, like these people aren't that shitty. I don't know. I don't know. (laughs) It's a hard question. (laughs) It's a hard question. 
All right. Well, let me ask you this question because you kind of talked about it, um, about the evolution of your work, right? So we've talked a little about you like interloping into different spaces. Where does art belong? Where does your work belong? Where do you belong? And you mentioned that like when you got from this like back with your masters from this really prestigious elitist graduate art mm-hmm. program, um, how you got back and you basically just like walked the fairgrounds. Can you tell me a little bit more about that? The fairgrounds in Lancaster is always having something, whether it's like a tractor show, which are like really interesting or like, you know, a craft show or whatever it is. But like, I would mm-hmm. walk through the craft barn every chance I got, because like the stuff I'm seeing in there is like way more interesting than basically anything I saw while in grad school or in art school entirely. I mean, it's like, I would much rather look at something that somebody sat and crocheted that like tells their entire life story for like a year. You know what I mean? Like it, mm-hmm. it's like, it took like a year for this, like whoever to like crochet this quilt or like knit this quilt. Mm-hmm. And it has like, it's like the 12 stations of the cross or something. You know what I mean? It's like, it has like a full like mm-hmm. life story. And it's like, I don't know. Like, I think that that's more interesting for me than like seeing some bullshit that someone threw together for like a crit or something. You know, I don't know. I would much rather look at that. It's like, I'm much more drawn to like the visual language at the County fair than I am. 90% of stuff that I see that's like considered art. I even love that language, like visual language of the County fair. Yeah. Do you think that craft, and I know there is like an evolution around and conversation on craft and fine arts and low art and high art, but do you think that craft is the medium and the language and the message for people that are in working class? Yeah. I think it's much easier for somebody to walk into that arts and crafts barn and be like, man, that that's awesome. That took like a lot of skill. Mm-hmm. which I think is like part of the reason why the only piece I've ever made that anyone has ever been interested in is this racks bag that you have out there is because it is, <laughs> and it's always because people are like, man, how the hell did you make that thing? You know what I mean? And it's like, okay, I think, I think that that's how I look at those quilts. I'm like, damn, like, how did you do that? I wish I could do that. It is interesting. You're taking the language of the medium that is familiar and then you're kind of putting a spin on it, but tell me a little bit about the racks bag that we're doing. Let's talk about that for a second. We have to these like, yeah, no, we don't have to talk about long actually. Okay. Um, but we're doing, I want to, we're doing these temporary, temporary installations in Seattle and we're doing them with this idea of the interloper that the existence of this fast food we're putting in place that's asking questions about like who belongs in the city. And one of the things that, you know, we know is that in places where there is working class, there's an increase of fast food because the truth is I can feed my whole family, my whole family of four for six bucks at Taco Bell. You know, like it becomes a necessity when people can't, can't pay money. And so the fact that like Seattle in particular has ordinances to keep fast food out says something about who actually belongs here. I mean, for six bucks to talk about you're feeding your whole family, y'all are eating pretty late. Well, we've got four ladies. So yeah. (laughs) And you're still eating like Seattle people, even like at a fast food restaurant. It's, It's interesting. Dude, six bucks. We can get six things. And if you get the cheesy bean and rice burrito, then you've got beans and rice that makes you, it fills you up faster. So if you get six cheesy bean and rice burritos, you can fill four ladies and feel pretty full off six bucks. All right. All right. You've given us a lot of liberties with this piece of yours to kind of put it in different contexts that gives it different meanings, which is kind of like at the heart of interloping. I mean, that's my whole point of like, it's the existence of something that doesn't belong that questions why it doesn't belong in the first place, you know? And that's one of the reasons why I've always said like, I love that you're making work about your lived experience of growing up in working class because by you, this work existing within the art world, it's it's calling it a question. Why do we have a space where working people don't walk into? Like, I'm so curious why 
all the people that I know that are working class have probably never set foot in a art museum or an art gallery and never will. No. And so by bringing work about working class into those spaces, it's asking the question, why do we have spaces that people that are working class will never come into? I mean, yeah, like, absolutely. And I don't, I don't think that they would. I, I mean, but the thing, the thing that's interesting too, though, is like my, this work for this show is literally installed in my parents' home right now. And they yeah, haven't even let's looked, talk about that work. They haven't even looked at it. <laughs> you know okay. I mean? It's like, it's like, so does it really matter? Like, how, well, how do you know they haven't looked at it? You've talked to them about it. Yeah. They don't know where, they don't even know where it is. <laughs> you know, it's oh, like, interesting. it's like in their house, but they don't even like, like my dad literally like the one piece is in his garage. I mean, this is, it's my fault. Like it's hanging in kind of a bad place. Like it should not be where it is, but it like, it was the best place to put it out there. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And the way it works is it's like, there's like a sliding door of the garage. Right. And the piece is like, mm-hmm. right. The, the piece is hanging like right here. I know I'm like using my hands and no one is going to know what the fuck I'm talking about, but like, whatever, <laughs> no worries. you know, and that's all that matters. Yeah. So there's like, the, if this is the piece right here, mm-hmm. this is the other door on the other side of the garage. <laughs> And he opened the door to get his car out and uh-huh. he just smashed right into it. Just like totally like <laughs> fucked it up. And I was like, man, oh, that... no. and like, I was like really upset for like a split second. I was like, oh man, like I put in like so much work on this. Mm-hmm. But then I thought about it and I was like, that's perfect. Like right. it's just like he, he, to him, art will never be something that does anything for him, like emotionally or like for his life or like, you know what I mean? It's not going to, it doesn't have any effect yeah. on him. And I think right. that that's, that's interesting. And then yeah, that, and that comes back to like, is art even a useful tool? Right. At least for me. I think it's a good, great question that you're asking. I keep, I do want to bring it back to, you know, this last installation of the racks bag. We put it in front of the Seattle art museum. And it was this really interesting thing because this is literally the use of this in its normal form is like to hold your fast food. It's like a very utilitarian practice. It's to get you fed. It's to hold your fast food. It's to make you like feel better after your shitty day by eating some shitty food that tastes good, you know, yeah, then you feel like like, even worse. You feel even worse. Right. But then it's funny because we put it at the Seattle art museum and behind these doors are billions of dollars worth of art. Right. So it's even asking this question of like, where does art belong? It's just a perfect example. Like this idea that really quickly within 30 minutes, security guard came out, told us we had to move your work. And I like asked these questions, very clarifying. I was like, why do we have to move it? And he was like, because this is private property. And I was like, well, do we need to leave? No, you can stay. Um, I was like, so it's just the unlicensed, unauthorized artwork that can't stay. And it was very clear. Like there were these guys that were skateboarding. I was like, do they need to leave? No, they can stay. So it's just like the threatening presence of art that hasn't been deemed art, that hasn't been deemed by the institution that it belongs, threatened something. So they had to get rid of it. Whereas like literally these three guys skateboarding and filming their skateboard tricks on the property, that's not threatening us being there, not threatening. It's actually the art that's threatening the institution. Anyways, that was a, a side note where I was just thinking about with your dad, with that story about mm-hmm. like, what is the actual purpose of art? Do you have like, I always keep thinking like, nobody's got time for that. Like, I just keep thinking about members of my family and people that I know they're like, I don't have time to talk about this theoretical thing. And the, and I don't have time to talk about the impact of rich people and poor people. I just have to go work. Yeah. And so I think that is another interesting part of the question. So I want to talk more about the work that you have installed in your parents' house. So you have this angel fire website where you're putting up documentation of this work. There's this mediation for people that it's not for where you can still see it, but it's like mediated by the documentation. It's mediated by the website. 
And I want to ask something particular that I noticed that a lot of your titles and some of the imagery, there's some religious imagery in there. Yeah, yeah. And so I wonder if you talk a little bit about that and the intersection of religion and class and kind of what you're thinking around these things. Yeah. So um, there is this art, this like kind of art that is like, it's Roman Catholic. I have it written down because it's like really hard to remember the name of it because it's absurd. Ecclesiastical Roman Catholic religious icon art. Mm. And like the frames, like if you took the frames that I'm making for this work and they were mm-hmm. just cast in gold, it would look exactly the same. So like, mm. I don't know, I guess I'm like thinking about how religion sort of like puts these things like on a pedestal that like when it really comes down to it, like what, like, what is it? Like, what is it even? Why? Why? You know what I mean? Like, it's just like people that you don't even like know or like and you but you care about for some reason because you think that they're your like eternity is based is like in their hands or whatever. I don't know. Like, I guess I'm going back to thinking about how the work is kind of a celebrate. It, it, I mean, it is a celebration of where I'm from and like the communities I was raised mm-hmm. in. And I'm trying to like take these like all the so all the images that are in like all the photography is just like cell phone photography that's like printed on like laser like my mom's laser jet printer you know what i mean like they're like very very low quality images oh i noticed because you are one of the best photographers i know and you can take a damn good studio shot and i was like all the quality of this photography is so amazing amazingly bad coming from someone who has the ability to do amazingly good quality photography i'm sure i could probably i could probably print them on nice paper and they would look better you know what I mean but like they're printed on like a like my mom's like HP like desk jet printer mm-hmm. that she's had for 12 years you know what I mean so mm-hmm. like they look really horrible and there's like banding and like but then I'm like taking that and then I'm like preserving it through like tedious layers and layers of like resin and like deep fry it's like preserving this thing that like should be thrown away you know what I mean it's like it's like preserving this thing that like isn't really that it's not that it should be thrown away, but it should be like something that you're like taking action to make better for yourself. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So like, that's kind of how I'm thinking about like the deep fry is like, if you're deep frying something, you're generally trying to like make it like more palatable because mm-hmm. it's usually like veggies or like, <laughs> you know, I don't know how, I don't know. I don't know if that's, if you can take that same sort of thinking towards like a Twinkie or like mm-hmm. an Oreo or something. Cause that's, those are yeah. like already good, but like, I don't know. Deep fry like makes stuff better. It makes everything better. All right. Well, tell me more about this intersection of religion and class. Like, do yeah. you think there is, do you think there is an intersection between religion and yeah, class? Yeah, for sure. Because I think, I think that religion is just another tool that's used to like uphold that divide. You know what I mean? But it's like, if, if mm. you really like think about it and you like read the new Testament, Jesus was like a brown skin revolutionary. Right. And right. it's like, he hated money and like he hung out with like the dregs of society, you know? Mm-hmm. So I think it's, I think it's interesting to how religion has now been like morphed into this, like ultra right wing, like pro Trumpy, at least, at least I know not all religions oh. like that, of course, but like Christianity. Yeah. Like the non-denominational, like mega church kind of Christianity stuff. Like, is that, yeah. and it's like people that are like all lives matter. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's just like, it's like those yeah. kind of people. And it's just like, it's just like become another tool to like control poor people or like people that they don't want, not even, not even just poor people, but like, it's just another means of control. I think, man, that's a really messed up way to think about Christianity of like that. It was this message according to Christianity where like Jesus was, like you said, a brown skinned man who'd been disenfranchised from lower class, like reaching out to those that had been pushed out as a way to be included 
that the, this very thing that was meant to like bring freedom to people who had been oppressed is now being used to oppress. Yeah, it's really those interesting. Same, those exact same people. I mean, yeah. I mean, I'm I'm an atheist, so I don't believe in any of this shit, anyways. But like, <laughs> when I when I think about it, I'm just like, man, like y'all can't even like believe in what you believe in. You know what I mean? It's like you're like so yeah. like you're so like scatterbrained, and there's just like so much cognitive dissonance that like you don't even believe in what you say you believe in because if you did you'd be on the side of of black lives matter you'd be on the side of like Mm -hmm. closing the financial gap you'd be on the side of dismantling capitalism you know what i mean just in general like i don't know because that's in the bible yeah because it is that is all in the bible right jesus like went in and fucked shit up at that church right because they were like Mm -hmm. buying so like they were they had money in there and he was like no right so what does it mean for you to be an atheist and to name one of your pieces transubstantiation. I mean, that's just entirely because like, I'm thinking about that food that's in that image mm. as, as being like communion, okay. you mm-hmm. know, it's like the rotten banana with like the, the two liter Sprite next to it. Like I'm just thinking about that as like literally just straight up what it says, like communion, like this is now my body and my blood, you know, cause that's kind of like, I think that the, uh, the bodega, like the carry out, kind of you know gas station convenience store diet is like i think about that a lot and it's kind of like this Mm. like holy it's like another thing that like it's like an identifier it's like it's like it's like what i was talking about earlier it's like work it's like it becomes like part of your identity like you gotta have that Mm -hmm. mountain dew with you or you gotta have like the brand loyalty you know what i mean it's like i gotta have like marble reds and i gotta have mountain dew okay so speaking of signifying who you are there is a you have these moments and you're live streaming where you're live streaming this work up at your parents house where you can see the reflection and you're wearing like there's like clowns that appear in different places Mm. can you talk a little bit about that sure so my parents were like part like they like were were like co-founders and like kind of like organized like a Christian clown troop as that when I was a kid. And like, I was part of that until I was, you know, old enough to tell them I didn't want to do it. But, um, do you put that on your CV? I should. Yeah, I should. I really should. <laughs> you should put that and that you showed at Seattle art museum. Oh, I'm going to put that on. Totally just sure. round well, it out. You should. Sure, that's hilarious. <laughs> I mean, you know, you know this very well. Like I, the clown stuff has like been something that like I've been kind of like wanting to do stuff with for years and I just don't, I don't really know how to access it. Cause it's just like a, such a weird thing. Although I did have like a, I did have one visiting artist while I was at Cranbrook tell me that I'm already making that work. It just isn't an image of a clown. He was like, you're, you're like, he's yeah. like, you are making every, he's like, everything you're making is masked. It's all like, that kind of fucked me up. You know what I mean? It kind of like, kind of made mm-hmm. me like, I don't know. It was a good way to go out. It was like my last visiting artist. And it like really like, so I don't know. I don't know where the art, where that's coming yet. But like, I feel like it's one of those things where like everything else that I do, like it all kind of just like slowly develops into something. So like, I just kind of want to get it out there and like start using it in the work, you know, even though I don't fully understand it. So I just feel like we talked about a lot of questions. We didn't really get anywhere or solve anything, but we got to talk about your work some, which I love. Yeah. And then also we want to release this before your work is over. And so what do you want people to know about your work while they still have the opportunity to see it? I mean, I think everything that you need to know about the work is in that statement that I wrote for the show, to be honest. Like, and if you can't decipher that, then fuck off. (laughs) You know what? We didn't have to do this entire conversation. You could have just said that and left it there. That's good enough. Let us know what you think and join the conversation at interloperinterloper.com slash podcast. 
where you can leave us a comment, ask a question, or tell us what we missed or need to go deeper with. Interloper's vision is putting money into the hands of artists, saying the things we aren't supposed to say. If you'd like to support artists or this podcast, go to interloperinterloper.com slash funders to find out ways you can help increase creativity and conversation. Finally, we release the podcasts, new exhibition series, and more on the 29th of each month. The 29th of each month. The 29th of each month. So set your calendars and follow us on Instagram at interloper underscore unlicensed to find out what's next. Be sure to follow and subscribe wherever you find your podcasts. Interloper is a project of the Milkshake Club, which is powered by Shenpike. This episode was produced, edited, and recorded by Connor Walden and Tiffany Danielle Elliott. The song you heard on the podcast today is Lofi and La Fila de la Totiria by Panmasur. Thank you.